Yo, yo, yo. Before we start off the episode today, which is a banger, by the way, please go ahead and everybody listening to this, follow the Twitter for First Down Rundown. It is at First Down RD Pod. Again, that is at First Down RD Pod. If you look up First Down Rundown podcast on Twitter as well, it would probably pop up as well. So do that. And then also follow my personal Twitter, which I just started, which is at Vozar Hayden. It's just my last name and then my first name. Again, that's at Vozar Hayden. It's also, if you look up Hayden Vozar on Twitter, it'll be there too. So just a little quick Twitter plug. I know it's a little bit a little bit controversial, but a little Twitter plug before the episode starts. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode and lock in because it's a good one. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, February 21st. It's been a little bit. Can't even remember last time we did an episode. It was probably a couple weeks ago. It was actually, it was the week before the Super Bowl. So we had the Super Bowl preview, and now we're coming out with another episode. It's going to be a little bit of a mixed bag today. I don't know why my my voice is like this. If if it sounds weird, it's I don't know. My I have something in my throat, so I'll try to get that fixed. But uh, yes, today we have a little bit of of a mixed bag. We're gonna be going over some of the stuff from the Super Bowl that happened because we still haven't talked about it. And I was talking to Matt today. I was like, oh, should we talk about the Super Bowl because it's kind of already gone and in the past? But then he was like, no, it's the biggest football game of the year. Why wouldn't we talk about it even if it's a week and a half late? which I thought was kind of true. So, yeah, we're going to give a little bit of our thoughts on it today, and then we're going to talk about the new coaching hires that happened since our last episode. And then we're also going to talk a little NBA. There's been some trades that have happened. LeBron got the scoring record. There's a lot of stuff that ha- that's happened in sports since we last recorded, and it's crazy to think that this much has happened in a week and a half to two weeks. But it, it's it's been like that. So Matt's on the other end here. Matt, how are you? Yeah, it has been a little bit. Um, And again, you know, apologies, obviously, right. The people who listen to our podcast are going to are going to probably listen to all the episodes. Uh, But if you're looking for episodes pretty much twice a week, which we tried to do last year, we're actually very successful doing that last year. But again, like I said, last year where there were some different circumstances, Hayden was not working with the football team yet. He was still in the second year in college, um, had a little bit more free time. I was kind of living by myself um, in in a different city. And so I kind of had every night to kind of not really do much. Um, and so still, so yeah. Whereas now obviously Hayden, right. Hayden's working for the football team. He has some more work, uh, you know, getting kind of in the upperclassmen level at, uh, at college. And then I'm basically living still in a different city, working in a different city, staying with my parents, staying with my wife's parents. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. So, which is why we're not really able to get on a set schedule here. I am going to be moved in April. And I say this at the beginning of every podcast because I'm kind of excited for it, but also will bring some regularity back to the first down rundown podcast, whether that means, and I know that Hayden's schedule schedule might not change too much, but hopefully that'll mean that we can at least get two episodes out to you guys each week. Uh, they might not be an hour. It might not be both of us on both episodes, but want to at least start getting some regularity back here because I like doing it. You know, that's the thing is like, this is like my passion, right? So um, it's one of those things where, you know, it kind of brings me joy. And if I'm not able to do it, obviously last week, there was a ton of stuff. We were actually both traveling this week. We can, uh, Hayden, how about this? 
I always give Hayden crap for uh, for sharing his personal anecdotes about his traveling and or school That's or right. whatever he's doing. Yeah. I will let us both now give our personal anecdotes for this past weekend because we yes. both were traveling. So I think that's yes. I think it's fair to say that because we both had good weekends in which we were in different states, completely far away from each other, but still hanging out with friends and, and family and whatever it may be, that let's both kind of just just go over our trips just a little bit, say where we were, say what we did, yeah. all that stuff, uh, because we both do have something to share in the same context area. All right. Well, yeah, I'll go first. And I'll just say that I went to South Carolina, University of South Carolina, to be specific, Columbia. One thing I didn't know about uh, South Carolina is that it's it's a city or sorry. So, whoa, 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 I'm going to start Starting off bad there. OK, <laughs> no, no. One thing I didn't know about Columbia is that it's like an actual city, urban style city. And I didn't know that the campus of South Carolina is almost like a mix. It's like a hybrid between campus style and urban style, which it's, I think it's mostly campus style, but it's, it's kind of in like an urban setup. And so it's a lot more urban than, than UVA is. And I just expected an SEC school to be campus style just because it's down South. You know, there's not many that not, not many big cities down South. And I didn't know that Columbia was kind of a, you know, a city city, I guess for any big capital city because columbia is the capital of south carolina any big capital is going to have an urban style city but i just didn't know that the university of south carolina kind of stretched into that urban part but th that was really cool to find out spent the weekend with my friends with my cousins uh, i drove down with my cousin from richmond so it was about i don't know like a five and a half hour drive down there five hour drive back it was it was a lot easier on the way i, I feel like the drive back from places is always so much easier and it's always quicker it feels like it's a lot quicker, maybe just because you're anticipating getting to the to the destination so much when you're going to the place. And then when you're coming back, you're like, I don't want to leave. And so it just goes quicker. I don't know. It, it doesn't really make much sense in my head or it makes sense like that in my head, but it may not make sense in your head like that. But anyway, yeah, it was it was a fun time. It was a good trip. Uh, good to kind of be like out of my element because my element is Charlottesville and UVA. So it was cool to kind of see a, another college atmosphere, especially SEC atmosphere. I was bummed that I couldn't see a football game, but hopefully I'll be able to go back next semester for a football game, uh, you know, one weekend. And that will just be absolutely electric because I've never been to an SEC football game and you already know the SEC is the king of football. So that, that'll be fun to do. But Matt, I'm eager to hear about your trip this past weekend. I'm not even going to say where it was. because I'm going I'm to let you have the spotlight to say where you went. So go ahead. Yeah, I went to Madison, Wisconsin, which is kind of out of the out of the way, a little bit far north uh, for most people in the country. One of my closest friends from college actually moved there uh, to after college and, and kind of he works there. So his job is there. So uh, so he moved there and he's been there for pretty much pretty much ever since we graduated college. So about a year and a half ago. Um, and yeah, and he really likes it. I was finally able to come visit him. He's visited me a, a couple of times. He travels a lot for work, so it makes him easier to it makes it easier for him to just kind of pop by and see me. He also lives in Charlottesville and went to UVA with me as well. So he's kind of been back and forth. Virginia's kind of, you know, here and that's where we are too. So, so easier for him to be here, but I definitely just wanted to go see him and obviously kind of see 
you know, what the what the vibes are for Madison. And for those who don't know, as Hayden mentioned, with Columbia, South Carolina being the home of the University of South Carolina, Madison, Wisconsin is the home of the University of Wisconsin. Now, there's different, I mean, it's a state school, so there's like, you know, different cities that have different campuses and everything. But Madison is like the big one, you know, with like the, you know, 30,000 kids and whatever. Um, and, and so that was really cool because, you know, similarly to Hayden, I mean, he went to go visit a college because his friends are in college. I visited my friend who's working, but he lives in the city that the college is in as well. So we did a lot of fun stuff uh, in the city, you know, went to see a concert and and went to see some, you know, museums and historical stuff, um, which was which was really fun. It's the home of cheese, right? Wisconsin is. And so yes. that was uh, really fun. We got to eat some real cheese curds. I'm a huge cheese curd fan. But down here in Virginia, there's, you know, there, there's not too many options and the ones that are aren't the real thing. Right. So I finally got to uh, indulge in some cheese curds, the, you know, the, the, the real kind uh, to, it's crazy to the point where it was like every restaurant you go to has cheese curds on the menu, which I'm like, if there's one that's here, I'm like, I have to get that as my appetizer or even my full meal. Like that's what I have to do because I never yeah. see it. Whereas there it's like everything. Um, and it is so much better. So that was really fun. Just kind of getting to know the the culture there. And then, uh, yeah. And then the last day, right before I left, we went to the uh, university of Wisconsin campus pretty much and kind of the, um, it's, it's not like, obviously, like I said, it's, it's just kind of all spread out throughout the city. So like Hayden said, I wasn't expecting it to be more of an urban environment, uh, but it was, and that's kind of where the college is. Um, and so we went to kind of the main, you know, quad area. Uh, it's right by a lake. It's really, really cool scenery. The lake was completely frozen over. So we were walking on the lake and people were like skiing and doing and ice fishing on the lake. Like, again, just crazy stuff that we would never even fathom you know doing here in virginia but uh, or in south carolina right um yeah. but but that they were just that's just kind of their thing there um and so it was it was super cool to just kind of be walking around and, and seeing the sights and i mean that's that's actually the first time that I've ever been out of the eastern time zone if you can if you can imagine that shouts out our uh in, in, not not too well traveled here a little bit the furthest south, the furthest I traveled before I've been to I've been to like every single state on the East Coast, right? So like literally up and down the East Coast. I've either driven or or stayed there, um, but never really gone anywhere further west. And this was kind of the furthest west that I went, um, or that I've ever been. And so and it was also the furthest north I've ever been. And I'm a Packers fan. Uh and they're from Wisconsin, they're from Green Bay, which is about two hours from Madison. So we didn't really go get to see Lambeau or anything. Um, but I told him I would come back in the summer and we'd have to do it then. So um excited for that. So similar to Hayden, kind of planning, you know, another another trip there, which is which is good. Uh, but I, overall, I thought it was really cool. I stayed there for, I got there Friday morning, early Friday morning and left early Monday morning. Um, I took the day off of work on Friday and then we had an up, it was a bank holiday on Monday. So I didn't have work and really made it into a kind of like a full three day trip, which is tough to do, especially once you kind of graduate college, you don't have, you know, the summer breaks, the winter breaks and everything and, and taking off work, you know, with, with, with all your, uh, you know, paid vacation is a little, you know, few and far between, especially with family vacations and all that. So I was glad that I was able to kind of only use one day, uh, but still get a four day, well, four day weekend, but three day trip out of it. So I really liked it. I thought it was awesome and uh, kind of, you know, glad I'm back, but also definitely glad that, that I, that I had my travels. So um, hopefully that little, little stories from each of us makes up for the fact that we didn't have a podcast. Cause that's really what we've been doing uh, the past entire week or so, um, which is, you know, obviously, you know, right. So, so now we're back, um, like I said, but, uh, but yeah, so, and as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I mean, you know, we kind of are like 10 minutes into here already, but we're still previewing what we're going to talk about, but yeah, the Super Bowl is over. Obviously we didn't have one last week, but you know, and so this will probably be the, the, the latest, the last new content about the Super Bowl that you'll probably get. Uh, but I think that's cool because at this point you've heard everything, right? You've read all the articles, you've read, you've listened to other podcasts, you've watched it on SportsCenter and TV and everybody talk about it. Um, and so we're going to kind of give our thoughts and, and I mean, nothing crazy, but just how we thought the game went, um, you know, 
the, you know, the, the controversy around the officials and, and everything like that, the, 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 the field as well um, was a little controversial. And then just kind of go over, like like Hayden said, um, the new hires, uh, the new coaching hires, three head coaches were hired in the span of, you know, since we did the last uh, podcast. So we'll break down each of those three and then we're going to do NBA. So we're going to do LeBron's scoring record and kind of just a general topic about LeBron. I'm kind of, you know, giving him his flowers there and as an NBA segment for this podcast. And then obviously, as Hayden mentioned, and, and as we all know, the trade deadline was Thursday before the Super Bowl, and we hadn't had done a podcast since then either. So all of the, you know, KD, Kyrie, all that stuff, uh, we're probably, I, I want to at least, I mean, I don't know how Hayden feels about it. I feel like we're probably going to run out of time by the time we get to that point anyway. Uh, so yeah. I would think that it'd probably be best to just push that to next week's episode yeah. or maybe later sure. in the week. If we both have some free time, we can hop on here uh, and talk about some, you know, just kind of kind of the, the, the magnitude of the trades because there were a lot of trades. And I think that was probably the, the most entertaining, uh, you know, NBA trade, de- trade deadline that I've ever, you know, seen really since I've been following it for the last, you know, following it seriously for the last, like, you know, 10 years or so um and and so i think there's a lot of implications that we can talk about not only kind of getting an update on whether the nba season as as a whole but how these trades can possibly impact uh the rest of the season for uh for all of these teams yeah also a quick thing before we get into super bowl i just want to share another little small anecdote that i have and it, but it's cool and it relates to this podcast so basically in one of my classes it's called athletes activism in the media we basically just talk about activism in sports and how the media responds to it. And we talk about like specific athletes that have been activists in the past and that have had an influence on social issues through sports, through their, uh, their sports platform. And so each person has to give a presentation in like in, in a little group throughout the year, throughout the semester on a specific athlete. And you don't get to choose who your group is. You don't get to choose who your athlete is our professor just pairs us up or puts us in a group of three and gives us an athlete to present on. And most of the athletes that have, have been presented so far, I think there's been like four presentations so far. And most of them that have been presented have been athletes from the past, you know, like Muhammad Ali, Billie Jean King. uh, There was uh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, people that have, have kind of come and gone, uh, you know, just because of age or because of what happened to Colin Kaepernick, how he was kind of just, totally ousted from the NFL uh, just by from, from what he did. But we luckily my group, I got, I got emailed by my professor this past week and it's me and two other people. And we're presenting on Lewis Hamilton. And it's, I'm like, dude, let's go. Cause I get to talk about formula one a, because nobody in my, I, I guarantee nobody in my class is going to know what formula one is. And if they do, it's only because of drive to survive the Netflix docuseries. And they probably don't know the, ins and outs of it that well and kind of how it works so i'm going to get to explain what formula one is to my class and get to show all show them all my uh cool and awesome and amazing knowledge on formula one and then i'm going to get to talk about lewis hamilton who is one of the greatest drivers of all time in formula one so it's it's going to be it's going to be a good day tomorrow that's presentation is tomorrow i don't know if if i said that already but yeah i'm 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 super excited for it and i know matt is just um so so happy for me as well that I get to do this and that I have this opportunity because I see him on the other end here on his phone so with that being said let's move right into the NFL so like we said Super Bowl recap right here right now I'm gonna kind of let Matt take it away with his first thoughts and feelings about the Super Bowl again like he said there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion associated with this Super Bowl in terms of the refs in terms of the field kind of things that nobody could control 
neither team could control. And that's why it turned out to be so controversial, so emotional. The Chiefs still won. They beat the Eagles by three, 38 to 35. And it was a great game. Um, but I'm yeah, I'm, I'm gonna let Matt kind of just go over his his first reactions and his what what's burning in his mind right now about the Super Bowl. I think, I mean, I'm kind of going to get straight to the point. I don't even really want to spend too much time on this because obviously, right, it was the biggest game of the year. Everybody watched it. Everybody saw the news afterwards. Everybody saw, you know, read articles, listened to other podcasts and whatever it may be. So I'm not going to get super nitty gritty here, but I think the biggest takeaway, and we saw it at halftime, the Eagles were up 24 to 14. Okay. In the first half, the Eagles have had the ball time of possession, right? which is the amount of time that you've had the ball, possessed the ball in that allotted amount of time. The Eagles had had the ball for 22 of the 30 minutes, and the Chiefs had had the ball for eight minutes, okay? The Chiefs were in 20 plays in the first half. Now, again, they scored 14 points, and seven of that was the defense, right? So that's been another talking point. People bringing up, well, if Jalen Hurst doesn't fumble, that changes the that changes the entire Super Bowl. Yeah, it does, but but – those types of plays happen in, in football games, right? So you you can't – and the fact is the Chiefs didn't have any of those plays, right? And and that's what, again, sets apart kind of better teams. Me and Hayden, just to set the stage too, I, I kind of jumped right into it a little bit early, I guess. But me and Hayden both picked the Chiefs to win. Um, I think we both predicted to be close games. I said the entire time – and go listen to the podcast. I don't – you probably won't want to listen to a preview podcast of the Super Bowl two weeks after the Super Bowl is over. But what was the first thing I said, Hayden, when, when we were talking about the preview? I said this is going to be a high-scoring game. I knew yeah. it was from the very beginning. So – but I said, hey, if that's the case, I don't really trust the Eagles to be able to score that much, or at least if they even if they do, because I know the Chiefs defense isn't the greatest. I expect the Eagles to, or I expect the Chiefs to be able to outscore the Eagles, um, because if it turns into one of those games, and that's what's going to happen. But the thing is, the game script did not get off to the right foot, or at least the 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 you know how I thought that it would go, at least the beginning, because right, the Eagles had the ball for so long in the first half, and it was one of those things where you're kind of thinking, wow, I think, you know, they have a 10-point lead at halftime, they can probably do this, and then we see what happens in the second half. The Chiefs had the ball four times, and they scored 24 points on those, so they scored on each position, they scored 24 points total, and they could have scored, it could have just as easily been 28 points, so the reason they kicked a field goal is because they basically had to win the game right so because they, they ran the clock ran the clock down uh you know took kneel downs on you know on the two yard line and then um you know and then kicked the field goal from there but they had a first and goal on the two yard line you're telling me Patrick Holmes doesn't score on the ball there so easily could have been 28 points on four possessions and scored on every single one of their possessions in the second half whereas the Eagles were you know they didn't convert on all of their on all of their chances and you really that's been kind of the thing all year and that was a big thing I, I mentioned on the on the podcast too earlier was they got out to such big leads in the first half of all of their games in the regular season that they didn't really have to try that hard in the second half. Now, whether that was they actually couldn't really do much in the second half or if it was just, hey, we're already up by 21 points. We don't really need to try that hard. I don't know, you know, kind of what it was, but it really does. If you go look, you know, go back and look back at their uh, at their box scores for this past year for a lot of these games, they got up you know, 24, 28 points on the board in the first half and didn't really do much else. They didn't have to, they still won all their games. Right. But that was kind of the normal of the story. And so now you end up in a game where you score 24 points in the first half, similar to what they've been doing, you know, the whole, the whole rest of the year. And they weren't really able to convert in the second half as well as they were uh, in the first half. And so that was kind of the storyline of it. But I think to go back to the time of possession thing, because I think at the end of the day, this is the biggest thing that I've kind of just, after hearing everybody talk, after everything that I've heard, the fact that the Chiefs had the ball for eight minutes in the first half and the Eagles had the ball for 22 minutes in the first half. And then and the, in the total game, the total time of possession for the whole game, it, you know, the Chiefs got a little bit more back in the second half here. But the Eagles had the ball for 36 minutes and the Chiefs had the ball for 24 minutes. OK, so even with a 12 minute 
time of possession difference, the Chiefs were still able to win this game, and they were still able to really be in a position to even put up more points uh, than they did. So that's really what proves to me that they were the better team, right, is the fact that the Eagles did what they wanted to do on offense, which is slow the game down by running the ball, right, having these very long possessions, including all of those fourth and ones, you know, QB sneaks, uh, which is probably going to get outlawed now because they, you know, because they were so expertly doing it. But they ran the ball so much and they and they and they, they you know they they did pass, but they had shorter passes, you know, besides that, you know, the bomb to AJ Brown and Devontae Smith each uh, each had one, but shorter passes, you know, the Dallas Goddard had like somehow just turned into like Superman for a second there um, with all those catches that he was making, but still shorter gains that kept kept the clock running, right? And so that was that has to be your goal. Like if you're the Eagles, the only chance you have to win this game is if Patrick Holmes isn't on the field. And that's what they did in the first half. But it's one of those things where you can only hold that for so long. And if your offense isn't able to sustain a, you know, 10 minute drive with 13 plays and you end up in a field goal, that field goal still will probably kill you. And that's exactly what happened on their, you know, their first drive of the second half. They got a field goal out of it, but that wasn't, the Chiefs didn't take that for, you know, for, for anything worth anything. So um, I think that that's the biggest takeaway I have is the fact that despite never having the ball, the Chiefs did whatever they still needed to win the game. Like, you know, you look at the score, it's 38-35. Yeah, that's a really close game. The Eagles had the ball for 12 more minutes than the Eagles. I mean, 12 minutes of game time, that's a long time, right? And it just proves to you how much more efficient the Chiefs were, how much more efficient the Patrick Mahomes was in, in, in able to, to win this game. And, and, and you really come out from it, I think, being like, this is the better team. Um, so, so I think that, again, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to go into – you know, super detail. I think, like I said, Jalen Hurts played amazing. I think Jalen Hurts probably outplayed Patrick Mahomes in terms of, you know, he objectively outplayed him in terms of stats. He threw for 300 yards. He had three rushing touchdowns. Pat Mahomes, I think, had 100, you know, like 170 yards or something like that. Um, so he didn't really need to do a lot because obviously they had a defensive touchdown. They had the long return uh, by by Kadarius Tony, But that's all part of the football game, you know, and, that, and that's the stuff that happens. And if you're not locked in on, you know, every single facet of the game, Sometimes that can hurt you a little bit. And I think to, to end off my point here is to talk about the Eagles defense. Obviously that has kind of been the, you know, the, the, the major takeaway I think from a lot of people after watching this game and just kind of consuming your content is going to be the Eagles defense didn't show up, right? It was, it was, it was this vaunted defense that the entire season had been the best in the league. And yeah, the 49ers had a great defense too, but look what happened in that game, right? Obviously, right. You know, you have, you have the quarterback situation for San Francisco, but the Eagles put up 34 points or 31 points or whatever it was. They only held the, you know, the 49ers to seven points and, and, and really right all throughout the year, seeing what the, you know, the giants in the first or the second round of the playoffs, the divisional round, you know, held them to seven points, right? So the entire year, this, this Eagles defense is vaunted as, you know, the best in the league, the, 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 the full, the full deal they had. They were the only team to ever have, I think four, four members of the defense got at least 10 sacks. That was the first time that ever happened. They were the first team basically outside of the 85 bears, or they were, the, they had the most sacks in NFL history outside of the 85 bears. Cause the 85 bears did, I think had, you know, have the first two um, or 80, 85, 86, whatever, have the first two rankings in terms of the most sacks in an NFL season. Um, the Eagles were third in NFL history in, in, in total sacks this season. Guess how many they got in the Super Bowl? None, <laughs> you know, and again, that's, that's credit to the chiefs offensive line who, who stepped up and played and, and were better than, you know, better than we thought uh, at first, but, but also, you know, if he's Patrick Mahomes, like, you know, you're, it's going to be tough to sack that guy. Right. Especially when he's had two weeks to heal from that ankle that seemed to be kind of bothering him uh, for, for most of the playoffs here. So that was the other thing I think coming out, coming out from this game is that the chiefs kind of did whatever they wanted. And it's one of those things where, 
okay, cool. You know, maybe maybe that 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 holding penalty doesn't get called on Bradbury, and you know, the, the game ends up going to overtime, and or well, not even going to overtime, but the Chiefs are forced to kick a field goal early. Eagles go, you know, drive down, get a field goal to tie it. Who do you think is, or who do you have to win the game, right? In a sudden, sudden death, whichever team you're basically, you know, whatever team wins is the team that scores more touchdowns from here on out. I'm still going to take the Chiefs in that, in that, you know, in that matchup, right? And I think that that's what proved to be the correct, you know, ending to the game, which was the Chiefs uh, winning. So, again, I, I, that's pretty much all I have. I'm not even really going to, I mean, unless Hayden has, you know, a lot more questions or whatever. I know he wants to give kind of his, his summary here, but I think that the, 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 the thing that sums everything up so perfectly is the fact that, the, the, the Chiefs won this game and barely had the ball. And it's like, if that's the case, you have to be extremely efficient. You have to be laser focused on maximizing every single possible play and point added and everything that you can do. And that's what they did, you know? And it's one of those things where at some point it's, it's kind of like, they're kind of getting into like the dynastic realm here where it's like, they're just inevitable. It's one of those things where, you know, if Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of the team that you're going up against, good luck because you probably won't win that game. So, um, so yeah, so I obviously congrats to the Chiefs. I think it was great. I had them going to the Super Bowl, um, even before the playoffs started when we ran our, you know, our playoff predictor kind of, um, you know, bracket there. I only ended up getting like three games total wrong in the entire playoffs. And I had the 49ers kind of winning it all, but obviously that wasn't going to happen as soon as, um, you know, as, as soon as Brock Party got hurt in the first drive of the game there. So I wasn't, and I didn't end up being correct in my, you know, my Super Bowl champion, but the Chiefs were pretty much my second choice. I mean, I was like really going back and forth between the, the, the Chiefs and the 49ers. I had them going through the AFC, rolling through there. Um, and 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 so I, I just think that it was one of those things where, you know, people were doubting them just because they got rid of Tyreek Hill. And it's like that he Tyreek Hill's not the reason that you have been to five straight AFC championships. It's number 15, and and he proved it. So um obviously great, you know, great, great you know, job by the chiefs. And, and I think that it was, it was a really great game. At least I, I can't believe I, you know, I'm remiss that I didn't say that earlier. It was an awesome Super Bowl to watch. I mean, it was, you know, it was high scoring. It was, it was close to the very end. A lot of them actually aren't uh, the past two years have been uh, ironically, but, but yeah, so it, it was an awesome game. I was so happy to watch it. And I think that, you know, despite obviously, right. People can argue about the refs, whatever the fumble. Okay, fine. You know, here, here and there, like a, the, the football games are not one, you know, based on one call that a ref makes, right. Super Bowls aren't one based on one fumble uh, that, that one person has. It's, it's based on an entire body of work over the course of 60 minutes. And despite the fact that the chiefs did not have the ball for more than, you know, half of those 60 minutes, they still got the job done. So, uh, so I hope that, you know, that kind of wraps up my point pretty well there. Yeah. I was going to say, actually, I was going to start off my point with, the whole a football game is not decided with one call because a lot of people are blaming the outcome of the Super Bowl on what happened on that second to last play where Juju Smith-Schuster got held by James Bradbury and the holding call was called and they got the first down on the two yard line or whatever. And then they were able to kind of just kneel it and then um, and then and then kick the field goal to win it. First of all, a a lot of people are saying and this is this is people that don't really know what football is, but a lot of people are saying that oh the ball was uncatchable so there's no way that there there could have been a penalty that's one of the um that's one of the criteria of the a pass interference calls that the is that the ball has, has to be catchable if it's out of reach of the player in any way then a pass interference call isn't a pass interference call whatever a there there's a there's a little key difference here pass interference is different than holding okay pass interference is a spot of the foul penalty it's when the ball's in the air and once the ball is in the air, it's it's the contact that happens after the ball leaves the quarterback's hand. Holding is a different story. Holding is before the ball leaves the quarterback's hand. And usually it, it does happen 
kind of beginning of the play ish when this one instance with James Bradbury did happen. So, right. This whole argument of the ball wasn't catchable has, has no place in this play with Juju Smith Schuster and James Bradbury B if you're saying that if you're saying that this call decided the game or that it is sad that the game comes down to this and it comes down to a holding penalty and then the Chiefs get an automatic first down and win the game that way. If you're saying it's unfortunate that it comes down to that, tell that to James Bradbury, who literally admitted that it was a holding penalty himself. I think it was on Twitter or something like that or in a press conference afterwards. Tell that to James Bradbury and then maybe see how he feels about it, because you can feel oh you can feel bad for the Eagles all you want, but it's like, dude, a penalty is a penalty. It's it, it. There's a reason why the clock is still ticking. It's because the game is still going on. And if there's a penalty, then you have to pay the consequences for it. Late game situations like this, penalties become all the more all the more important, and you just have to deal with it. It's 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 part of the game. It happens all the time. We we saw it plenty of times just in this playoffs with the. Uh, what was it? The the Bengals and the Chiefs, I think it was, where I mean, I, I guess the Chiefs have gotten bailed out twice now with penalties at the end of the game. But it happened with the with the Bengals late head out of bounds on the Chiefs that gave them uh, the 15 yards or whatever it was to go kick a field goal at the end of the game. I guess, right. Like I said, I didn't even really notice that it happened to the Chiefs twice, both in the AFC championship and in the Super Bowl. But whatever. I mean, you can't really say that they lucked out because they played a great game up until these moments and it just happened that they were in possession of the ball at the right time. The right thing happened to them at the right time. And they were able to kick a field goal to win both games. I don't, I don't really see a problem with what the refs were doing. People, I think people are kind of just kind of are, are just like building up all their anger from calls that have been, that have been made earlier this season that may have been a little bit questionable and they're kind of just adding, they're trying to add on, to that with what happened in the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship. And I don't I don't think it's really right at all. I think you got to give credit for what the Chiefs did. And just to kind of go off Matt's point of the time of possession, there's a reason why the Eagles had so much or had had the ball for so long. It's because they had 18 third downs. They made 11 of them, which is actually pretty good. I think that's probably in the high 60s range um, percentage wise. The Chiefs had eight total third downs and they only made four of them. So they had 50% third down efficiency. Eagles probably had up there in the in the high 60s, maybe even low 70s in terms of percentage. But the Eagles had 10 more third downs than, than the Chiefs did. And so if you think about it from a time of possession standpoint, if you have 18 third downs and you convert 11 of them, that means that, you're, that, the, that the offense is on the field for a really long time, right? They're they're using that first down. They're using that second down. They're using that third down. And then they get that third down conversion. And then everything resets. And you go through, you go through that process again and again, you keep the chiefs defense on the field. It was pretty interesting that the defense, that the chiefs defense didn't really seem to get that tired. There were a couple of plays here and there, you know, like the AJ Brown touchdown where it looked a little bit like a, not even really like a miscommunication. It was just AJ Brown being a beast. And you know, the, um, I think it was Trent, Trent McDuffie or somebody that was in coverage kind of just got confused. But like for the most part, the Chiefs defense didn't even really look like they got tired. And that, I think that was probably the most impressive part. Like Matt said, when you dominate a, a, a game like this in terms of time of possession, like the Eagles did, and you still don't come out with a win, it's really frustrating because, right, you've got the ball for so long. You, you've, you've converted all these third downs. They can they converted two fourth downs with I think both of them were with that cheeky QB sneak like Matt was saying which I I kind of do hope uh gets 
gets prevented in the in the future in some way because it is just so op with Jalen Hurts who squats six hundred pounds and then Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders both behind him pushing him. But they converted two fourth downs and they converted eleven third downs compared to the Chiefs four uh, converted converted third downs. So that explains the time of possession. More third down conversions equals more possession. But it didn't really matter, right? The, the Chiefs were able to move the ball down the field with more yards per attempt. Um, obviously, if they if they had less third downs and they got more yards per attempt or per play, and they were they, they were just the most the more efficient offense. They had I think 158 uh, rushing yards. Eagles only had 115 rushing yards. If you would have told me before this game that the Eagles would have would have 40 less rushing yards than the Chiefs, I would have told you you're crazy. That's never going to happen because. The Eagles were their whole offense really was predicated on the run game with Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts and that incredible offensive line. But then you get to a game like the Super Bowl and you try to switch your game plan up. You know, the defense keys in on what you do best, which is running the ball. And there is there is a way to stop any offense, really. So I think I think the Chiefs did a great a great job of doing that, of keying in on the run, preventing that first and then making Jalen Hurts throw the ball and. You got to admit, when Jalen Hurts throws the ball, he's a great passer, but I think he's more effective when he's running the ball, and he wasn't able to get out of the pocket. He wasn't able to kind of make those Jalen Hurts plays that he was able to in the during the regular season and even during the playoffs where he was able to kind of make plays with his feet after backing up the pass. He wasn't able to do that as much. He wasn't able to pull it on the read option as much, and it just it just turned out to be uh, – you know, kind of a slugfest until the end, which the Chiefs were able to pull out. And that's that's the exact kind of game that you want Patrick Mahomes to be in. Like Matt said, if you give me a close game, give me Patrick Mahomes over any other quarterback in the league 100 times out of 100 times, and, and he's going to win that game. So that's my biggest takeaway. Again, it was, it was kind of building off of what Matt said, but also don't give me that penalty crap because it, it, it just does, it doesn't make sense because a penalty is a penalty. It's football. It happens, and it, it sucks that it's, in such a big game like this, but at the same time, you you can't have an argument against it. So there you go. Yeah, and the other thing is the the whole grass situation where you know the players were slipping and everything. Um, that's just that's just like what are we doing? Can, can the NFL please just have a regular field that that is not injuring the players when it's the biggest game? Dude, they apparently they worked on this grass for two whole years. Like I I, I heard that they were they planted this grass two years ago and they've been like curating it for two whole years up until this moment and everybody was slipping. I, it, that just makes me even more baffled. Cause I'm like, what, how, how does that happen? Uh, it, it is well known that in the Arizona stadium, they, what they do is it's an, it's an indoor stadium, right? So, but they don't have field turf. So what they do is they actually grow the grass outside and then they roll in the field each week, every time they have a home game. So it's like, you're playing, which is a really cool concept where you're playing on grass, which is a lot of these guys like to play up where, you know, prefer to play on grass because the turf is, you know, it's harder to grip and whatever. Um, and, and so you're playing on grass in an indoor stadium, which I think is really cool. But at the same time, you know, what? <laughs> It's the Super Bowl. Can we get this right? I, I mean, you know, we're acting like we're it, it's overseeded ryegrass at the at the Mayakoba Invitational Awards on January thirty first, and Brooks Kepka came in at thirty to one. All right, so that we we got to do better than this. All right, it has to be it has to be better. So I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully they got nearful enough to be able to fix this. I don't, I don't know when the next time this Arizona is having the Super Bowl. I think it's kind of a rotation of a few uh, stadiums, so it probably won't be for a little while, but hopefully they find someone else to to 
to take over the role in that in that case. Um, so now, speaking of the Eagles, we're moving out of the coaching hires, and the Eagles were kind of a big part of that, obviously, with the news coming out pretty much the day after the Super Bowl, um, that both of the coordinators are, 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 are basically gone. Uh, so obviously, after a breakout year that led to the Eagles' Super Bowl uh, run, both of their offensive and defensive coordinators were hired head coaching positions two days after the Super Bowl loss. Will this have any impact on their attempt for revenge next year? We're going to get to each of their you know, where they went uh, and, and, and right after this, but just kind of the, the, the general question here is that obviously, right. This is a Super Bowl winning team. They lost both offensive and defensive coordinators uh, to head coaching positions. So how will, uh, how will our boy Nick Sirianni go about hiring uh, more coordinators as well as, you know, do we think that this will impact the future of the Eagles with this kind of young core that really has, you know, the caliber to get to the Super Bowl? Yeah. I don't know that. I think the whole new coordinator thing in, in, Philadelphia is tough to diagnose. I don't know who they're going to get. I haven't really looked at possible candidates. I don't really look at possible candidates for coordinator jobs. I really don't look at it for head coaching jobs. And I mean, the fact that both of these coordinators got hired as head coaches elsewhere at the Colts and the Cardinals, like we're going to get into, like Matt said, that's great. Those programs are are kind of have been like historically pretty bad recently, but we'll see. We'll kind of get to, to where they're at in a little bit. But I think in terms of the Eagles, and Nick Sirianni, I don't know if it's much of his success. I, I, don't, I don't know if, like, I may be wrong here, and I may be just kind of using my, my initial bias of not really knowing who Nick Sirianni was before he went to Philadelphia to judge whether or not he's actually the one who's giving them the success that they're, that they're having right now. I think it's more so just the talents they have on their team. I mean – that, that's what everybody was talking about coming into the Super Bowl, coming into the playoffs in general, was the talent on this Philadelphia team. I don't really know if it's Nick Sirianni that much. I don't really know if it's the coordinators that much. So, like, these other teams coming out and, and getting both of these Philadelphia coordinators to become their head coaches, I don't. I think maybe they were motivated by the hype. I, I don't know where, where that really came from. But I do think that Philadelphia is in a good position here. They've got, I mean – really anybody is going to want to go coach for Philadelphia right now because right they're I mean, they're a great program and they have the ability to win right now, assuming that they can keep most of their guys and assuming that, assuming that they can draft well, this coming, this upcoming year. But I think that they won't really have any trouble hiring any guys for, for coordinator positions. Um, it's just going to depend on right. If they can go out and get the right guys, then they'll succeed. I, I think it's, it's a pretty straightforward formula. Again, I don't really know who is in the running or who's kind of in the mix for these coordinator jobs in Philadelphia. But I think, right, if, if they're able to kind of go out and, and get the right guys, get guys that are that are that are kind of fully bought into the to the win right now situation that they're in. That's kind of all you really need to 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 succeed in, in, in a situation that the Eagles are in right now. I don't know, Matt, if, if you have other stuff that you want to talk about with the Eagles, but. That's kind of my my answer to it is that like they're in a win now situation. They need guys that are going to buy into that. And if they can find those type of guys, then then that's going to be good for them. They got the talent. They just need kind of some guys that, that can back them up on, on the coaching end. Yeah. And and I kind of sort of agree. I mean, I think that, right, we, we don't really know where these, you know, the current coordinate, well, current slash now at new jobs uh, coordinators really came from, didn't really have a history. They're both very young. Um, and, and so, but they were able to make it work, you know, and that's, I think the, 
kind of the overarching theme that I'm going to have here as we begin to talk about the new coaching hires that, that we do have uh, is that, you know, right, whatever Nick Sirianni, I mean, he got in that first press conference and we were laughing in his face because he was stumbling over his words. He was talking about like, you know, the players are like flowers growing in a garden and we're like, dude, are you a football coach? Like what's going on here? Um, and, and Hey, it turned into this, you know, two, two years later. Right. So obviously, you know, you find a diamond in the rough, like Jalen hurts and you kind of get everything turned around. You have a, you know, a, a solid defensive core and you build off of that. That's really the key to, to winning in the NFL at least, but you have to have competent people at the, at the major coaching positions, you know, AKA head coach, offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, and special teams really to be able to, even get to the playoffs, much less, you know, be a dominant team throughout the regular season, get the number one seed in your conference, run through, you know, your, your, your conference in the playoffs, outscoring your opponents 34 to seven, you know, by an average, an average score. And then basically going up against one of the, you know, well, the best team this year. And, you know, one of the best coaches of all time, Andy Reid, and could potentially be the best quarterback of all time uh, in Patrick Mahomes and basically only losing that Super Bowl at three points. Right. So your assistant coaches had to, had to have known what they were doing in order to even get there. I mean, these guys are not idiots. Right. So I do, and I do think that Hayden's right to a certain extent, like the buy-in is big, especially for guys who are, you know, on the NFL team who know that they're really good, but could kind of maybe use that coaching over the top to, Hey, you know, let's let's get a younger guy in here. They'll they'll be able to you know gel more with these guys who are currently in the league and and be able to come up with schemes that fit their wants and their needs and everything like that. And so I think that that really did end up working out for the Eagles. Where they go from here, again, I'm kind of in the same boat as Hayden. I don't really have a, a specific answer as to who's going to get the coordinator positions. There's some some names out there, um, you know, but I think it's it's really kind of everyone is vying for the same people. So we have Vic Fangio. I think he actually, um, I think he did he where did he maybe I don't know maybe not. Did, did you he, know I think he's the, he's the defensive coordinator somewhere now. Well, he is. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I didn't. I couldn't remember if he fully got hired because I remember the Broncos were looking for for someone, but then the news was that they were they're interviewing like Rex Ryan for their defensive coordinator position now. So I don't think he went oh, there. Yeah. He was also yeah, no no because he was their most recent head coach there before. Yeah, that's what it was before Nathaniel Hackett. That's what and because I'm like why the Denver defense was so good, but yeah. So Vic Fangio is basically the best defensive coach in the league. Um, Hayden's looking up where he went. Right he got now, so. he got hired by the Dolphins as their right. Okay, well, wow, I didn't remember that at all, but um. Yeah. Good for them, because that is a heck of a hire. Uh, but anyway, right, there's there's lots of people out there, you know, either former coaches or or, or newer guys who, who don't really have much experience. But as it turned out with the Eagles this year, you know, that can work. So I'm not really sure where – you know, where, where, the, where, where they'll really go for those, uh, you know, for those hires, but, but we'll see. And I think they made it work this time. And so, you know, you gotta, gotta trust Nick Sirianni in the, in the front office. And obviously, you know, Harry Roseman, the GM has done an absolutely amazing job. I think this is the definitely like the fastest turnaround that we've ever seen in terms of, you know, they won the Super Bowl five years ago, but that was a different coach, different quarterback, different defensive all the coordinators are different. Uh, and five years later, here they are, you know, losing by three to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. So um, let's kind of get into the new coaches here now, starting off with uh, Jonathan Gannon, who was hired by the Cardinals um, as their head coach uh, last week. He quickly brought in uh, offensive coordinator Drew Petzing, who was a who was the Browns quarterbacks coach uh, previous to you know kind of having this offensive coordinator role with the Cardinals. And then he also hired a de- defensive coordinator, Nick Rallis, uh, who was the former Eagles he was the Eagles linebackers coach this past year. Um, and there's been a lot of just talk and nonsense about like, what, what is, what is he doing? What's going on? What are the Cardinals doing? Because at the end of the day, and I don't want to get too much into this, but the, you know, the, the, the prevailing narrative is that Jonathan Gannon really 
was horrible in the Super Bowl. I mean, obviously, right, you're playing Patrick Mahomes, but it's like the Eagles had a really easy schedule all year, and that's easy to make a defense look really good all year. And then there are two playoff games where against teams that were really well. The Giants were horrible all year and didn't really deserve to be in the in division round. And the 49ers had their four-string quarterback and basically fifth-string quarterback with, uh, you know, with Christian McCaffrey. So they didn't really have much competition until we got to the Super Bowl. And then when we did, they weren't able to make second-half adjustments. The Chiefs scored at will uh, every time they had the ball in the second half. So that was kind of the the thing is like, wow, this guy really just got torched. And then he's the first person to get hired as a new, uh, new head coach. And it's to the Cardinals who are probably one of the most turmoil filled organizations of the, of recent memory uh, going, even going all the way back to when Cliff Kingsbury got hired out of Texas tech where he had a losing record. All right. He was had a losing record at Texas tech got hired at uh, in Arizona. They draft Josh Rosen. He was horrible. They give up his entire, you know, they, they, they leveraged their entire future for Kyler Murray, which worked out for like a year. Uh, but ever since then, he's been kind of a, kind of a, kind of a, kind of a drama queen, to be honest. And then didn't get along with Cliff Kingsbury. They fired Kingsbury. They bring in Jonathan Gannon, who's a defensive coach. And then he is high fiving Kyler Murray in the halls. And it's like, what, there's no continuity here. It doesn't look like anything is, is going to go well for an organization that really not much has gone well over the past few years, even though they have a lot of good pieces, especially, you know, a young quarterback, Kyler Murray, who they just paid $230 million. But anyway, my question here is, and I'm going to kind of just really short answer. Do the Cardinals have a chance, right? That's my question. That's kind of what the theme of the, at least the Cardinals here is going to be. For very my short, very short version. At first, I was just like no, and really from what I was just saying, you know, previously, it just it seems it seems thrown together. It seems quick. It seems not unorganized. It seems just 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 like like no nothing was really planned here. It it doesn't look like this will go well at all uh, because we don't know who these guys are. We don't know how well they can coach at all. We don't we don't have any experience, right? But guess what? Because as much as we just gave, you know, the Eagles all the credit, that's exactly what their situation was. And I even mentioned it, right? That team turned around. They had a different coach, different quarterback, different coordinators, everything. Within the span of five years, they're back in the Super Bowl. Now, obviously, Howie Roseman is an expert GM, and I don't know who the GM of the Cardinals is, but because I don't know who he is, it's probably because he's worse, (laughs) right? So, but at the end of the day, that's what happened. Nick Sirianni looked like a fool in his first press conference. And here he is, you know, crying at the national anthem in the Super Bowl. All right. And then we got the two coordinators who kind of come out of nowhere. They're very young guys and they make it work. Right. They got the defense best, you know, statistically third best defense in the history of the NFL with, you know, regarding sacks and the offense we know, you know, did so much with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders and all those guys. So the fact that the Eagles, this is, we're pretty much in this exact same situation as the Cardinals are in now. And they had so much success so quickly really kind of disproves any theory that you can just be like, well, we don't know who the coaches are, so they're going to be bad, right? But at the same time, a lot of other stuff had to go right for the Eagles who already had a really stacked defense and added more pieces to it. And on top of fighting Jalen Hurts, you know, as, as kind of a diamond in the rough on a rookie quarterback or rookie quarterback contract, a lot of different scenarios in terms of, you know, the players on the team as well as the salary cap and everything like that. Whereas the Cardinals are kind of on the worst version of all of those. Um, so I don't think it's going to go well, but we can't say for sure because we just saw it work out really well for a team that was pretty much in the same situation. Yeah, I, I that's a good argument, Matt. And I, I didn't really think about that before thinking about my answer. But my answer to this question of <laughs> will the Cardinals be any good is no, because Kyler Murray is not going to be good to start the, to start the season. I'm pretty sure D Hop already said that essentially if Kyler Murray isn't able to start the season healthy that he's going to move in free agency. So I, I guarantee you De- DeAndre Hopkins is going to 
leave Arizona. I think he wants to leave Arizona anyway. I don't really think he wants to play with Kyler Murray anyway at this point because he he sees what Kyler Murray does, which is fall off a cliff uh, after the after the fifth game of the season every single year. So it's like I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to move. I think that I don't really know what they're going to do with the rest of this offense, but the rest of this offense isn't really all that good. You got James Conner, who's pretty good. I don't know how much he has left on his contract or if he's. He, I mean, he played like he was playing in a contract year this year, but I I have no idea what is going on with his contract. But you're right. You're not going to have Kyler Murray for the beginning of the season. And it, even if you do get him back, like on the earlier side, I don't know how much he's going to be inclined to run, which is a huge part of his game. So I don't I don't really know how Jonathan Gannon's going to turn his team around. It, it doesn't really make much sense. Like Matt said, they've thrown this team together or they've thrown this coaching staff together super, super fast. And they're not, they're not really taking their time with anything, which I guess you could say is a good thing, you know, cause in the, in the NFL, it's better to have a solidified coaching staff. It's, it's better to have a solidified backbone to a team and then kind of work through things in training camp and throughout the summer and everything like that throughout free agency in the draft so that you have a good, so that you know what you have going into the draft and you know what you have going into training camp. But still, it's it's. I feel like it's not really going to work out that way for the for the Cardinals. They're just too much of a mess right now to be in a position where they can have as much success as the Eagles did, turning it around after that whole like tank period after the, they went to the Super Bowl five years ago and they're back now. It's. I don't think it's going to be that situation. I don't foresee that happening. If that does happen, uh, I might call Jonathan Gannon the best coach of all time because. I really do not see how this team, this Cardinals team can turn it around this fast with the situation that they're in with DeAndre Hopkins, most likely leaving with Kyler Murray, not coming back until pretty late next season. I I don't really see how they can turn this, turn this ship around, but on the other side of things uh, on the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles, uh, Shane Steichen, who was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. uh, He got, so, he obviously left the Eagles, like we said, and he got hired by the Colts who have been one of the more poorly run organizations uh, in the last few years, given the talent that they have. So the question I'm going to ask to Matt here is will Steichen have any impact on on a Colts team, which like we said, is, is just ha- has been very stagnant no matter who they get. They got Carson Wentz. That didn't work out. They got Phil Rivers for a couple of years or, or for one year and that didn't work out. Um, and, and they just haven't been able to do, anything with with the talent that they have they have Jonathan Taylor one of the best backs in the league they have a really good defense too talent wise but their defense kind of fell off this past year I don't know who their defensive coordinator is but uh, Frank Reich wasn't the wasn't the answer there I think he was there for like two or three years and they let go of him so where are the Colts at do we think that the Colts are going to be able to get turned around by Shane Steichen if so why if not why well I think he has a better chance than Jonathan Gannon honestly I mean because the Cardinals just with all the money they just paid to Kyler and when you really don't even know whether or not he really wants to play football, you know, that that's a horrible situation to be in. Not to mention, you know, they, they yes, they have D-Hop. But other than that, like, who are their studs? They don't really – I mean, James Conner's a good back, but not at the top of the league. Their defense has some pieces, Isaiah Simmons and Buda Baker, K, but, you know, they're not blowing people away. They're not – you know, their, their defensive line isn't getting – isn't getting you know pass rush on the quarterback jj watt just retired too so you know that's another piece they just lost so the, I, whereas the colts and, and hayden pretty much summarized it exactly correctly is they have one of the best running backs in the league they have a, a solid defense they have one of the best offensive lines in the league which is really offensive line and defense 
is really like if you have an offensive line and you have a you know a serviceable defense, that's the easiest thing to build around. And that's exactly what happened with the Eagles, right? Which is why they were able to make this work so quickly with Nick Sirianni and, and these coordinators who were kind of younger and, and and didn't really have much experience. The Cardinals have nothing like that, but the but the Colts do. And so I definitely think that Shane Steichen is going to be able to do this a little bit better, uh, or or you know the the outlook on the the immediate you know, results of, you know, the, the, the Colts versus the Cardinals is, is going to be, you know, heavily favored by the Colts or, you know, the, the Colts are, are definitely going to, I think, outperform the Cardinals, uh, you know, especially when it comes to kind of the right away. But the main problem with the Colts is they need a quarterback. All right. We can't do, we can't be, we can't be doing any more of this. Who's the oldest possible guy that we can get in free agency and just throw him on the team because that has not worked. All right. You had that one year with Phillip rivers, who was still probably, you know, closer to his prime than anything else. And, you know, he, he was, he was good. They got to the playoffs and they got smoked by the bills, but the bills, that was the year they went to the NFC the AFC championship and they almost, you know, beat the chiefs for the super bowl. Right. So, so that was kind of a, that was a good sign. And obviously that was kind of just Jonathan Taylor's breakout year last year. You have Carson Wentz, who we now know is just a bad quarterback overall and can't really throw the ball at all. Right. And they had Matt Ryan, who is kind of the same thing just in the older version of it. So where are you going to go with quarterback? That's that's the main that's the main thing here. That's the main question. They have a really good you know they have a solid core. They have a you know defense and an offensive line and a running back that that can really carry their team. And that's the thing is so as a result of that you don't need a dominant quarterback. You don't need a you know a dynamic. You don't need a Kyler Murray. You don't need one of these guys who who will who will kind of you know completely put put his team on the on his back and and carry the load for everything that that it's worth. You just need a guy who can who can really service what you know the, the skills of the team are, which is you know handing the ball off right and 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 working on those receivers who you know they don't have the best receiving core, but it works fine right. Matt Ryan was able to do it, and and you know this was his first year here, so um, I I think the the future of the Colts is brighter. Um, they have a better just I think organizational management too, uh, and so you know I know that the the question wasn't necessarily geared towards you know who's going to be better the Colts or the Cardinals. Um, the Colts have a better roster right now, so it's kind of the easy answer at the end of the day. But they're also set up for a new coach to succeed a lot better than you know a coach who who just kind of got torched in the Super Bowl and is is walking in to pay Kyler money until he dies. Uh, so I, I, I think it's, I think the Colts are better set up. Um, they're going to need a quarterback. They need to figure it out. I don't know whether they draft someone, they're going to have a pretty high draft pick, right? So, you know, maybe you grab someone in the draft. There's a lot of quarterback prospects, but it's going to be interesting to see where they, what they do for the quarterback position. I think that's the only question mark, but I do think that they are set up for at least because they have a solid core here. All right. And then our last coach here is Frank Reich, who was hired by the Panthers, who, if you guys didn't know, got rid of Matt rule earlier in the, in the year. And they ended up not promoting, um, their interim coach, Steve Wilkes, which was kind of a controversial call. There was a lot of things coming out when Frank Reich first got hired by the Panthers that said that a lot of players within the Panthers organization actually much preferred Steve Wilkes over, over the hire of Frank Reich. And that's understandable because a guy that's been in the system for a little bit, you know, obviously I think it was like half the season or even a little bit more than half the season, a guy that's been in the system and has been coaching their team for the back half of the season, which was the better half of their season hint, hint uh, that's, that's you, you kind of expect a guy like that to get hired and just kind of test him out for one year at least. But the Panthers decided to go with good old, uh, good old Frank Reich, who was fun fact, the first ever quarterback for the Carolina Panthers when they became a team in the NFL. So that's uh, he's kind of coming back home to good old Carolina, but, yeah, so Frank Reich, if you didn't know, is he's kind of known for being the offensive coordinator behind the Eagles' uh, magical 2017 run, which we, we have referenced quite a bit here in this episode. But he did flame out of Indianapolis, so 
the question is here, do we like him with the Panthers? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give a quick answer here and I'm just going to say, I don't really like this hire either. Like I kind of gave my answer already. I think they should have stayed with Steve Wilkes. Their, the back half of their season was the better half of their season. They started to win, not, not more, but they see, they seem to start to have like more success when Christian McCaffrey left, which was kind of weird, but that's also kind of right around when, um, when Matt rule got fired. So I think they should have hired Steve Wilkes. I, I, I think they should have stick, stuck with him again. It's one of those things where like Carolina is not in a position to win right now. Anyway, I don't think they're trying to win right now. So maybe f- hiring Frank Reich is a good thing. I'm kind of flaming Frank Reich right, right now, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think their intention right now is to win right away. So I don't know why you wouldn't give St- Steve Wilkes a chance and just kind of, you know, throw him a bone and, and, and see if he fetches it because I think that he would. I think I think I think he's a he's a pretty good coach from what we saw this past season. Um, but I don't really know if Frank Wright coming into this system is going to be the best thing just because he was the Panthers quarterback. The first ever Panthers quarterback doesn't mean that he's going to be their savior now. So I don't I don't I don't really like this hire. I, I mean, it's 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 tough to, you know, and Hayden, you, you kind of said it perfectly. They're not really in a win now position they're not really i mean they may be trying to win but you know they're not i guess they're not outwardly tanking but right it's it's just it's not a good team it's not a good roster it's just not talented right so you're not gonna be expected to do very much but i think is why they they made this move now frank reich is known as kind of the quarterback whisper right because mainly because during that year with philadelphia he was able to kind of you know basically make carson Wentz into an mvp and Carson Wentz would have won the mvp if he didn't tear his acl in like week 12 or whatever um and then not only was he you know Carson Wentz's whisperer um, for 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 that whole season, but then it was basically Nick Foles did the exact same thing, right? And and so that those last few games of, of 2017, the regular season, uh, as well as the entire Super Bowl run into a Super Bowl MVP trophy for Nick Foles, that Frank Reich was behind that, right? And that that was the prevailing theory is that he was the you know he was the guy, he was the reason. Now, to my knowledge, or at least now, based on what we've seen this past season with the Jaguars, there was a guy named Doug Peterson, who was the head coach of the Eagles during that season. And it seems like he has a pretty positive impact on quarterbacks as well. So I think that Frank Rick ended up getting a little bit more credit than what he deserved technically uh, for, for what happened in that season with the Eagles. Cause then what happened was he got hired as the Colts head coach when they brought in Carson Wentz. Well, I think it was the year before they brought in Carson Wentz, but either way, um, they brought in Carson Wentz and it's like, the guy's back. The, the gang's all back together. It's going to go great. And then it didn't, right? So, because, and obviously, right, Carson Wentz is not, we, we just, from seeing him, you know, since then, he's not a good quarterback, all right? But Frank Reich, was able, Frank Reich was able to get something out of him in that season. I think it was more so Doug Peterson, just, you know, kind of seeing now from what we've seen from Doug Peterson and, and how Trevor Lawrence has has, has improved so much. Um, but, but I think Hayden was right. Like, there's not there's not he's not going to have pressure to win right i mean it's not going to be like they're not going to be expected to be a you know competing for the playoffs next year it's not going to happen right and and if he, even if he is the quarterback whisperer what quarterback is he going to whisper to all right because you have the ghost of sam donald there and then uh, not much behind him baker mayfield's he's already off to la right so, dj walker right exactly yeah. who i think is going to still be playing in the x or the usfl or whatever because i don't think they sign him or whatever so <laughs> I, I don't know I, I don't know how this ends up I, I don't think it's a good i don't think it's a good fit because if his if his specialty is, is, is training quarterbacks and he doesn't really have one then really what's going to happen there i think it's probably hayden i think almost you know told the future here it's almost like a stepping stone move right they're hiring this guy to kind of get some time to get their 
get their feet on the ground here, understand what they want to do, build, you know, from a defensive perspective, offensive line. They have some good pieces, right? The running backs are good. Chuba Hubbard and Deontay Foreman are really good players. And the defense is, is sustainable. It's not it's not horrible. Um, it's probably, you know, about middle of the pack, which, again, is not bad. Uh, so if you can get a quarterback in there that's really talented, you might be able to make something work. So maybe, you know, right, maybe they draft someone this year, right? And then Frank Reich has a kind of a chance to – really kind of breed, you know, quarterback from a young age and, and who knew, you know, who knows what will happen uh, from there. But, but yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, a meh hire, like just because the Panthers are kind of a meh team, right. You know, I mean, you, you don't think of them as, as flashy or winning a ton ever since, you know, kind of Cam Newton was, was out of the discussion there. So, uh, and they've run through, you know, their cycle of coaches since then. I do think Steve, Steve Oaks would have been the perfect guy though. Uh, and Hayden, Hayden kind of alluded to this too. Um, he, he, I think, he did he play no he I think he's from Charlotte that's the that's the thing is he, he's from Charlotte which is where the Panthers play and you know he's he coached I think at Charlotte University or some schools around North Carolina um you know for for college and then you know kind of you know was brought up to the NFL so I think it's one of those things where like he was he's kind of the rah-rah guy like he's he's kind of got the ties to there and everything um so yeah I agree with him I think they probably should have at least kept him even if it is you know even if you are trying to kind of make a stepping stone move just hire the interim make him the head coach and then that you don't you can have an excuse to fire him kind of whenever you want because he wasn't really supposed to be your guy from the beginning, but they kind of let him walk. I think he already got a job somewhere else. Um, so I, I should know that, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not on top of this stuff all the time, 24 seven. So I don't know, you know, we'll see, we'll see if it works out. I think, it, I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a, a big, a big false move or, or horrible decision, you know, in the long run, because the Panthers kind of still got to figure out what they're going to do in the short run here. All right. Well, with that being said, that wraps up our NFL topics and we're going to move quickly into an NBA segment. So like we said, we're going to discuss, discuss, discuss the, the new LeBron scoring record that he broke. Uh, I think it was, yeah, it was probably like a week and a half. I'm just going to estimate that everything happened a week and a half ago because that's what it seems like. So yes, he passed a good old Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the scoring record um, last week. And this cemented his place in the record books of the NBA. Obviously, he's um, he's now first in the uh, in all time scoring. I think he's currently fourth in all time assists, and he's probably going to get to third pretty soon here. I don't know how far how far off he is, but it's probably like within the hundred to two hundred range. So he's probably going to get to third in the assists, and that's I mean, if he gets to third there, it, it's just gonna it's it's gonna break the media. I, I feel like, but we'll do the courtesy of skipping the. MJ and LeBron debate of who's the goat. Um, But it is worth debating whether or not this record will ever be broken again in the future. So I'm going to pose this question to Matt. And I I feel like this will be maybe a little bit of of a quick answer, but maybe not. Will this record be broken again? Do we see anybody in the NBA right now that may have the tools? Uh, I think, I think everybody knows who I'm talking about right now, but who may have the scoring ability to surpass LeBron sometime in the future if they are able to sustain their athleticism and their just overall dominance as long as he was able to. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I don't really know who you're, who you're getting at. There. I was talking about Luca, but. Oh yeah. Okay. That's true. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess I didn't really consider Luca. Dude, Luca's like my age. That's like, that's ridiculous. That's what I'm saying, bro. And he's, he's already such a great scorer. Like, yeah. Well, and, and two, like he benefit. Cause that's what I was going to say is the only reason that he's, that nobody else is going to be able to break this record is the fact that nobody, unless they change the rules or I, I don't know, because there's so many, okay. There's, there's a couple of reasons why LeBron was able to get here. Right. Is the fact that a, he was drafted right out of high school. So he didn't play any college. So he was playing in the NBA when he was 18. All right. Secondly, it, the season was still 82 games when he started. So that hasn't changed at all, but the load management thing is completely different now. So if, 
these guys who were, you know, even if they do change the rules that where draft guys can get drafted out of high school, um, you know, what's going to happen is like, they're, they're not going to be playing on these games because there's going to be load management. There's going to be back to backs and they're just going to be like, eh, whatever, I'm not going to play because that's the mentality in the league right now. Um, and, and so I think that definitely affects Oh, and, or if those guys who are, you know, great and young and talented and whatever are on a good team, they're going to be rested because they want to, you know, stay, stay well for the playoffs. Whereas LeBron played 82 games for basically the first 15 years of his career. I think like he never got injured. He didn't get injured until I think his second year on the Lakers, which is ridiculous. Cause that was like, I mean, that was like two years ago. Right. Uh, and he's missed a lot of time in between them. But the fact of the matter is like played 82 games for basically 16 straight years, which is, that's not going to happen anymore. And that's the reason that I say this record is not going to be broken. In, you know, because it's that there's just not going to be enough. There's not gonna be anybody who has, enough volume of games to be able to fill their stats with. Obviously, Lucas, I think, you know, Hayden, Hayden's kind of kind of maybe onto something there. He he does play all the games and he's, you know, he, he's obviously broken all these records, you know, up until now. But yeah, at some point, the thing is too, like, you know, right, you, you just might get injured for a year. And that takes away a lot of the ability to be able to score all these points. Whereas LeBron just was, he's just a freak of nature in every, you know, every possible way you can explain it because of how long he was able to go uh obviously you know in in you know he's still playing now but but just for you know for the longevity longevity of his career in general but also just being able to play 82 games every single season and then also being able to play they went to the finals five straight years or set was i think it was seven straight years because it was the heat and then the Cavs. i think right after that so seven straight years i think like that's ridiculous and still play basically every game after that so i don't think it's gonna be broken again hayden give me your chance give me your uh your your uh your argument here for luca yeah, well, I the whole load management management thing, I didn't really think about either. Now that you mentioned that, I feel like probably not. It's um like you said, I mean, LeBron, he never got hurt until he was on the older side. And I didn't I you said until his 17th season, he didn't miss a game or he didn't get hurt at all until his 17th season. Yeah, like he he didn't miss like extended periods of time until after he won the championship with the Lakers. Cause I remember That's it crazy. was like they won the championship, right, in 2020 in the bubble year, right? And then it was like the next season started, and the timing was all messed up. So they won the championship in like March or something, which is like six months after the, or no, they won it, it was like November or something. They won it like six months after the, the normal thing was. But, um, but, but, and then the next season, he like hurt his neck or something. That was when Anthony Davis was getting hurt too. And Anthony Davis has always yeah. been hurt, right? Throughout, you know, back and on, or on and off throughout his career. And so then it was like, oh, wait, the, the Lakers might not make the playoffs like the year after they won the championship. And it's because LeBron got hurt. But then it was like, wait, has LeBron ever been hurt? Like, no, like he missed a few games here and there because, you know, whether he was sick or tired or, you know, had like a, you know, an ankle, small ankle sprain or whatever, but no like serious injuries. It's kind of like the, you know, kind of like the Brady thing where it's like these, these super ultra, you know, goat level athletes, like they just know how to take care of their bodies such that they don't get injured and then they don't miss any time. And, and yeah, so that's, that's the main argument is the fact that like, he just didn't miss any games and he played for so long until he did miss games to where now he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to wait till Bronny plays and then I'm good to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I going off of that, I, I probably would say the same thing that there's probably not going to be somebody that, um, that is able to break his record also because like Matt said, or like Matt mentioned, he played right out of high school. Everybody nowadays has to go through at least one year of college or G league or some kind of like professional ball overseas. So it, yeah. So that kind of, both of those factors, I think contribute to the fact that we probably won't see anybody break this record, at least in our lifetime, you never really know beyond that, but um, I, don't, I don't really see anybody with the scoring prowess that, LeBron has as well as like just the the overall basketball IQ that LeBron displays every single game 
is insane. I, um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I love LeBron as, as a player, like me and me and my roommates, I think we probably talk about LeBron every single day. I, I don't know why, but he just always comes up in conversation and we just, we, um, we laugh about, we laugh about it because there's this, like, there's this trend on TikTok now that, uh, it basically, I don't even really know how to describe how it, how it became a thing, but like people in the comment section of like edits of LeBron and, and videos of LeBron, like in an interview or whatever, um, people in the comment section will be like, yeah, that's my, my glorious baby King LeBron. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's just like, what is happening? But, um, so yeah, the thing so- though too is here, and this is on a more, on a more serious note. Um, he, we saw him at the Super Bowl, right? If you didn't see him at the Super Bowl, here's what happened is they basically did some announcement for him because it was, he did it like, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday at the Super Bowl week. So he was there in his box and whatever, and they pan over to him and he does the like, He's like sit. He like stands up and like thanks the crowd or whatever, and he does the like imitation of him putting a crown on himself. And like obviously it's King LeBron. We all know that, okay. But it's like, dude, really, dude? Like you have to do that. And and to a larger point, this is what I was going to end on here too: is the fact that yes, he broke the scoring record. It's all about LeBron. He's the best. And and again, he deserves it, right? This guy is you know probably the best basketball player of all time. And this record probably will never be broken, right? And and so yes, he deserves everything that that comes his way. But the fact of the matter is too like the Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs because they're 13th in the West right now. Okay. He's, he's run the team into the ground and that's a bigger discussion for probably a different topic for a different day. And we can get there, you know, closer to the playoffs times time or whatever, but they're making all these moves. They're trading for all these players. And yet it remains that the fact that LeBron is just, you know, the end all BL, he is the inevitable yet. They basically have the same record as the thunder who are absolutely trying to lose and don't even have their best player in Chet Holmgren for the entire year. So that's the kind of that's the thing about LeBron for me that's like it's good that we're celebrating him because he got the record and he deserves everything that's for him but at the end of the day too like he's kind of running the organization to the ground now I don't want the, I don't want to see the Lakers be good because they were good for in my entire childhood uh you know the Kobe and Shaq era was kind of when I was growing up and I just they were so good all the time and I didn't want to see them anymore so for those six years or whatever straight that they missed the playoffs I was happy about it they win the championship in 2020 I'm like oh my god here we go again and then it's finally like okay well they're actually not that good because you know the pieces they got around them that worked for that one year but since then they haven't really been able to put, put anything together and this year is kind of the kind of similar to that so I don't really want to see the Lakers do well, but at the same time, he's kind of the reason why they're not doing well. Well, I mean, he's not the full reason, but I think that he in being LeBron is taking away from the ability to, you know, really build the team, you know, make sure the younger players actually know what they're doing, how to play basketball as a team together, which he LeBron is the best person in the world at doing that. Right. And we saw it with the, with the heat and the Cavs and everything, the, wherever he goes, they, the, that team gets to the finals. And it can only be beaten by, you know, the KD led Golden State Warriors with the, you know, with the with the three Hall of Fame Splash Brothers. So that that's the other deal in this too, is the fact that like, great, give him his flowers. He deserves it. Every, everything is cool. But at the same time, like what's going to happen to the basketball team that he's on? I, and if he doesn't care, doesn't really matter, right? I don't care either. That's totally cool. Do whatever you need to do. The Lakers aren't going to be good. I won't have to deal with the Lakers being good. Um, but But there is kind of a larger issue here to the point where, it, it 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 can be about you up to a certain point, but then at a certain point, you kind of have to, you know, there, there's a line that has to be drawn, up, you know, past which you got to kind of start figuring out how to, how to build a good basketball team that can actually be successful and, you know, not look like the Houston Rockets every night. Yeah, you compared them to the Thunder earlier, and they actually lost that game to the Thunder where he broke their scoring record. So it's like that kind of just sums up um, sums up the 
I guess the duality of, of what we're talking about with LeBron being so great, but his team still being so incredibly bad. So anyway, that's going to finish off the whole episode for you guys, the NBA topic and the rest of the episode. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it again. We're sorry for missing the past couple of weeks, but it's just, it's just been a crazy, crazy time. Um, last week was super crazy with me preparing to go on my trip and Mac preparing to go on his trip for the weekend. So Yes, but these next couple of weeks, I have spring break in a couple of weeks, so I'll be able to crank out some episodes then. Um, I'll have ample time to do it. I might be going somewhere, so maybe that isn't true, but I don't know. It We'll, we'll have to see. If I don't end up going anywhere, then yeah, you best believe I'm going to be on the podcast grind because I won't really have anything else to do. So yippee for that. But, uh, but for now, we will try to get one episode out per week. Like Matt said, it's just we're not going to try to promise you guys two episodes per week at this point, because it's just, it's just not happening. So we're going to promise you guys one episode per week. And if we get two, then great. But if we don't get two, then we are still making our promise and we're still achieving that goal. So with that being said, we're going to end it off for tonight. Um, Thank you guys for listening again, and we will see you guys next week.